It's funny, I was flying back on the way back from New York or something like that. There was this super social kid sitting next to me. He was like nine and traveling by himself or something. Then the airplane people hooked him up with a ton of snacks. We had these cool like bulkhead row things and he's listening to music and he's playing stuff on his iPad. And then Victoria's Secret stuff came on the TV, the satellite TV, and he puts away the iPad, puts away the food, gets out like all the good sweet stuff. He's like taps me on the shoulder and he's like, check it out. And I'm like, this is what, this is like the pre-porn lifestyle, right? Like this is, remember when you were like, oh my God, there's girls in swimsuits on TV, put away everything. But this kid was shameless. He was just like, dude, look what I'm watching. And, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, I don't know how to react to this. You know, what do I do right now? Do I express disapproval? Do I express approval? Do I, and so I just sort of, but I don't want to like reject the fact that he's trying to talk to me either. So I just was like, oh, like, oh yeah, dude, check out the boobs on that one. What are you talking about, dude? Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that could go wrong there. And of course the stewardess who's like, you know, 60 is looking at us and they're like, thanks for keeping an eye on him. And here I am like, yeah, no problem. And now a quick message from our newest sponsor. Remember, supporting our sponsors is the best way to support the show. That's right. AJ, did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? I had absolutely no idea. Bombas knows, and they're doing something about it, making ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every item sold. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but do good too. That is completely amazing, and that's why we're so excited to be working with our newest sponsor, Bombas. To date, Bombas, one purchase equals one donated commitment, has helped customers donate over 100 million essential clothing items to people facing homelessness. That's a lot of good done by people just buying the Bombas they wear every day. Visit bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. And once you try Bombas, you'll know why so many people have purchased and donated so many. The comfort geniuses at Bombas work tirelessly to make your everyday things your favorite things. Whether there's an arch-supporting sock that feels like it was sculpted to your foot, a buttery soft tee with no itchy tag, or underwear that feels like nothing while supporting everything. The best part, AJ, Bombas has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you got the wrong size, your dog chews up your socks, or a pair vanishes in the washing machine, and you know they will, it's easy to get a free return, exchange, or replacement. There's nothing worse than when Puppers gets a hold of my favorite Bombas athletic socks. They're precision engineered for being active with sweat wicking power, impact cushioning, blister defense, and no annoying toe seams that get between you and your goals. I try to limit my essential purchases to one time a year, and I was so pumped to know that Bombas has my underwear, socks, and tees needs completely covered. I have been loving the soft underwear and tees here in Medellin. Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash charm and use code charm at checkout. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men.
Welcome to The Art of Charm, I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We want to empower people to crush the competition in life and create amazing lives for themselves by making tools available to everyone that were previously only known to high performers. And we've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great content and free products and books that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. The show was about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show but you wanna know where to begin or find out more about what we teach at our live programs in LA, you can go to the website and we'll email you a starter kit of all the top shows here on The Art of Charm. That's like the fundamentals, body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, dating, attraction, business networking, negotiation, relationship management, public speaking, and more, and pretty much all the stuff we'd wish we'd learned and mastered years ago. We have our live programs running every week in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you wanna learn and grow. Details on that at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp, or call us in the office, or you can even email me Jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with Kevin Kermes. Kevin's an entrepreneur, but he's also a former headhunter. He knows a lot about what it takes to get a job and to transition from one career to another. We're gonna talk about why not only is it critical to translate your skills, but how to start doing that, and where people fail when trying to translate their skills, how to set yourself apart from other candidates for jobs, even if you're just graduating or you have no experience in the area that you're gunning for, how to deliver a message that resonates and how to bridge that direct experience gap. This and more along with some scripts on how to do so on this episode with Kevin Kermes. Enjoy. So tell us in one sentence what you do. So I own a digital publishing company that focuses on various stages of career management. Okay. What does that mean? Like, okay. <laughs> if I don't know what that means, which, and I'm not the only one. Right. So I'm a former headhunter. Prior to that, I was an infantry officer in the army. After being a headhunter for about 10 years, I wanted to start showing people how to manage their job search like we did as headhunters. So being really proactive, developing messages, marketing yourself. And that started out focused largely in 2008 around the, the around boomers. So our, our core audience was, you know, late forties, mid fifties. What we found was the message resonated across the board. So people switching industries, people just coming into a competitive marketplace. So as we built up kind of topics that, that drew a crowd, we spun off different websites. And we spun off different lists to be able to focus in more specifically on whether you're early in your career, you're looking to navigate some, you know, seismic change in your career, later in your career, veterans transitioning out of the military. Uh, so, you know, the, the career management title, I think, is a little, albeit a little dated. For me, it's the best thing I can come up to kind of say, this is the umbrella that all these things fall under. Okay. I mean, you're an entrepreneur, you're an author and a speaker, you were in the army, you were a headhunter. I read that you directed more than a thousand searches. What does that mean? You found you placed more than a thousand people or you looked for that many folks? So led the search, whether that meant that I, I was the liaison with the company or in many cases I was doing everything, recruiting the people, working with the company directly, but but have managed that process across a myriad of different industries. 
more than a thousand times. Good for you, man. Excellent. And we're going to talk today about the job market, getting a job, transitioning from one career to another. Now, does this stuff apply mostly to folks who are professionals transitioning, or does it apply to kids who are like, I graduated, now what? Fundamentally, it applies to everyone. I always describe us as working with people who are in transition, which for me falls into one of three different areas. You're either looking for a new job, you're looking to elevate yourself in your current role, whether it's a promotion or you're growing your own business. And then the third part is striking out on your own, which a lot of people are doing on the side. So whether it's a side gig or it's a full-blown entrepreneurship, you know, just quitting your job and going for it, you still, at the end of the day, have to understand two main components in order to be successful. And it's figuring out who you serve or who you want to serve and delivering those outcomes to them that are compelling enough to engage you or hire you in some way. And at the core of that is a compelling message. Excellent. I would imagine you have to have that, right? And people are changing jobs more than ever now. I mean, my dad worked for Ford for like, I don't even know, like 30 years or something insane. And before that, he worked for vendors of Ford. And I guess that was probably normal. But now I feel like my friends who are in their 40s, they're like, oh, I was this and then I moved to this and then I started doing that. And it's not even the same thing. It's like right. my dad worked for a tire company and then he worked for like some sort of engineering company and then he worked for Ford and that's where he stayed. Now it's like, yeah, I was in telecom and now I'm in consulting and then I went to legal services and now I'm doing IT solutions and I'm like, what the hell? This right. is not, it's not even the same genre. It's not even the same wheelhouse. Like you, you're almost relearning a bunch of, sure you take experience, but things are translating completely differently and they're doing it more often. And I mean, people are changing jobs more, or is it just my imagination? No, no. I mean, so to like to throw a couple stats to back it up, Forbes, I think it was last year, said somewhere between four and a quarter and four and a half years were the average professional changes jobs. So, you know, every four to five years, let's say. The number that I think is more compelling, and you got to look at this from both sides, is a survey that the Gallup poll did last year that's about disengagement or dissatisfaction in, in the workplace. And that upwards of on this sliding scale of, hey, I just I can't wait to go to work in the morning to, man, I'd you know, rather run a cheese grater over my tongue than get out of bed and go to work. 80%, it's, it's rounded, but right around 80%, I think it's 82 or 83% say they are actively disengaged at work. This may not be news to a lot of people, but what really becomes interesting to me about this is that you don't just hear people talking about it like me. You hear the consultants out there now coming inside companies and saying, okay, this is costing you 400 to $500 billion a year. So let's suss out who those people are. Let's figure out who the engaged ones are, get them more engaged. The people who are kind of sitting on the middle of the scale, let's tilt them over towards being engaged. And if not, let's get them out of here. <clears throat> so now there is awareness and there's awareness in the marketplace of the people who control the money. It behooves you when you find that you are becoming disengaged to make your next move. I mean, if you want to champion mediocrity, well, first of all, you're probably not listening to this podcast. Okay. That's what we do here at the art of charm. We are just like, Hey man, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. (laughs) Right. But but the reality is the jig's going to be up, you know, whether you're hitting a career slump, whatever it is, or you just decide, you know what? I just, I don't want to do this anymore. That's how I felt about headhunting. When I'm sitting there talking to my business partner, and I was 38 at the time, about our exit strategy and selling the company at 50, I'm like, I don't want to be doing this at 50. Yeah, like that's a long time. 
I'm like, I don't think I want to be doing this next year. I thought, shit, I need to figure out what I want to do because yeah. I talk to people all day long who are miserable. Being miserable and doing your job well, forget about like intrinsic fulfillment, but extrinsically, it's not sustainable. It's just not. I mean, at some point, it's got all this trickle down that nobody wants in their life. Excellent. For those people who are new to the show, obviously what we teach at The Art of Charm is not mediocrity. And so we want to be sure that we're not championing that at all. So what you're saying here, if this is what I'm hearing, is at the time that you start to see a real downward slump, not like, oh, I had a bad week at work, think times be tough. But when you're going, oh, man, this is so lame. I just I can't deal with this anymore. Or if you grew up where I grew up in, in Michigan, or if you're from Los Angeles, you say, I can't even, right? <laughs> if you say, I can't even, <laughs> can't even finish the sentence, right? <laughs> then it's time to start looking for a new job. How do we know when it's time to start looking for a new career or a new job versus, man, my work environment's just a little bit screwy or it's a stressful time? You know, I bet you if you ask any CPA on April 1 whether or not they should be looking for a new job, they would be like, yes, this sucks, right? How do we distinguish between I've had a bad time at work this quarter, things are stressful, the team is, the morale is low versus I need a new job entirely? Well, I think you kind of hit on it. There are a number of things. Number one, is it, are they certain events that are kind of popping up, you know, not so much on the horizon, but you know, tax season. Okay. I know that I'm going to be working 80 hour weeks, but after that, I've got, that's kind of like recovery time versus organizations, you know, let's take organizations that are constantly embattled by lawsuits, changing industries, you know, everybody's got a tensile strength and kind of a, a runway that they can deal with in terms of putting up with that stuff. A good bit of this is just internally what's driving you. I will tell you one thing that I find if, if you're not dealing with one of these kind of situations that's at the end of the spectrum is that when you do a job long enough, People start to think that they are their job description. Like Seth Godin talks a lot about this in his book, Lynchpin. And if you haven't read it, like, I mean, first of all, I think everything that Seth Godin writes is pretty much spot on. But what he talks about in terms of being indispensable in there is, is exactly where I'm going. That's, this is what we're looking to do. I mean, not only to become irreplaceable in the marketplace, but to figure out my, man, what is it that I love doing? As entrepreneurs, we try to figure out where do we want to focus our energy and where can we outsource everything else. Fundamentally, you can do the same thing when you're working for someone else. I mean, we all work for someone else. In doing that, I mean, basically what you're trying to figure out is what is it that I provide that is of such high value that I'm indispensable? And then position yourself around that. Because once you excel at that, being able to pivot and move to a new career, new industry, becomes a lot easier than, you know, relegating yourself to being like a job description. Right. And, and I mean, that's where so many people get screwed, that they market themselves around that. And if you do that, you are, by definition, a commodity. Good luck standing out. It's so true, though, right? Because if you're a customer support specialist, it's like, so what? I can hire another one of those for 15 bucks an hour. Right. Why should I pay you 25? I've got experience. I don't care, right? But if you're like, I have customers that are so loyal to my level of support that they will actually go and learn. They'll learn about this product or ask me about this product, even if I don't work for you anymore. This guy, he worked for like a yacht manufacturer and he was doing customer support for them and he kept getting the same questions over and over again. And their support system was really weak, this yacht manufacturer. So he created a website 
that had like an FAQ about in a forum for these people. And he would go in during work and off work apparently and like fill in answers to these questions and he would just send people there because it made his day job so much easier. Eventually, probably one of these rich guys who owned a yacht was like, why is this free? So he started charging for it. He had so many members because it was the only place anywhere aside from the crappy manufacturer with terrible support that you could get service. He started to just make more money just being on his forum answering questions about the product than he did sitting in the office getting yelled at by his boss and answering questions on the phone from angry customers who'd been on hold for like an hour, right? Yeah. He had that business going so well that he quit his job and his company hired him back for a ton more money to run his business from home for that company. And so they ended up basically acquiring his side gig and now he's like probably making 10 times as much as he was before because he, he made himself the customer support specialist, not a customer support specialist. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And it is a prime example of really getting dialed in on what's the outcome that your organization you're working for, or the person you're serving or people you're serving, what's the outcome they want to achieve? And getting almost like myopically focused on that because there's so much other stuff that just doesn't matter. You know, instead of getting focused on the tool, instead of getting focused on if you work for a company and you get 10 things in your job description, truly understanding what is important about what you do and what is helping that company achieve the outcomes they want to achieve, how can you do that faster and how can you do it in a way where people start to realize you are indispensable? Right. You're the guy. Yeah, exactly. It's funny you said everybody works for someone else because a lot of these, especially I'd notice a lot of my millennial friends and I bash on them a lot, but it's also because they're smarter than me. Uh, it's <laughs> They say like, oh, I don't want a boss. So I'm going to work for myself. And I'm always telling them, guys, you think your boss is demanding now. Wait till you work for yourself. And it's confusing at first, but if you think about it for like 10 seconds, yeah. I mean, it's so true. Wait till you start consistently getting demands from people who don't even pay you money. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Exactly. It's tough because like you think your boss is an a-hole when he has a bad day. Wait till you work for yourself and you can't yell at anyone else. Right. right? There is no up the chain. The buck stops here. No, there's nowhere to hide. There's yeah. absolutely nowhere to hide. And for me, and I would imagine you're very similar in this ilk because I think anybody who has been successful going out on their own likes the fact that you look in the mirror and you know whatever happens or fails to happen squarely falls on your shoulder. So the only thing standing between you and success is you, which sounds simple, but it's, I mean, it's as difficult a concept to master. And I think we're always trying to master it on some level, particularly when you're growing. And if you continue to grow, man, there's no one to blame. All right. Awesome. So you'd mentioned earlier, people are changing jobs every four and a half, whatever years. So essentially changing jobs, changing careers. It's not an if anymore. It's a when. Correct. Are these shifts happening the same way? How do we translate our skills to a new audience? It seems like a really complicated move. If someone was like, hey, Jordan, you got to go back to Wall Street. I would be like, what? I mean, first of all, I'm useless on Wall Street. I've been out of the game for too long. I don't even think I could do it. There's other areas of, of work. If I had to do something besides what I'm doing now, I would like to think that I'd be like, oh, I'd be really good at all these other things. But right. when I talk to people who work in those areas, I'm like, huh, what? And they're 26. They've been doing it for five years. There's a reason I don't get it. But I'm like, what, man, what's the learning curve going to be? And I think the problem is when people think, oh, I really hate this job. I'd rather walk into traffic than go to work today. 
one of the reasons anyway that they're not switching aside from sunk cost and things like that is they go, how am I going to learn how to redo something? You can't teach an old dog new tricks, even if they're like 29. Yeah. And I mean, and it's tough. It's, it's painful to learn new stuff. I mean, I, I learned how to surf and snowboard at 40 and, uh, the surfing wasn't bad. The snowboarding, good Lord, that hurt. Jeez, man, you're a glutton for punishment. Why did you even want to do that? Tell me about it. I was getting married and my wife loved to surf. She loved to snowboard. And I figured I'd better figure that out to keep up with her. Nice. <laughs> Pretty simple. There's hope for me yet. All yeah. right. <laughs> Translating our skills, you know, are there ways that we can do this? Speaking of translating skills, surf and snowboard anyway. Why is it critical that we translate our skills from one thing to another? Well, I'll tell you, even if you're not moving industries, it's critical because it is going to force you to start looking at your market differently, or better yet, let's refer to it as an audience. And, And by audience, I mean the people who can hire you and the people who you want to hire you, which is an important distinction versus slogging yourself in as a job description. which is a really dangerous thing to do. Again, it gets you back into that commodity mindset. So figuring out who are these people who you want to work for and work with? What do they look like? What are their problems that they've had? Chances are you've worked for some people like that before, even if it's been in a different industry. An example I'll, I'll give you is me coming out of the military. When I left the army, I'd been an infantry officer, been on two combat deployments, led upwards of 130 men. And at one point, and I still laugh when I think about this, was responsible for more than $750 million worth of equipment. And I don't know who in their right mind was putting a 26-year-old in charge of all that, but that was me. And and my environment in which I had operated was austere, dynamic, constantly changing, and we had to do it all with limited resources. So that, that was the norm that I was used to. So when I came out of the military, that's what I focused my conversation around, which was for any business I was talking to, any company, I am used to working in sometimes limited information, sometimes limited resources, but still achieving the outcome. I mean, who doesn't want to hear that? Well, yeah. You know, fast forward, I end up becoming a headhunter. And after a year, I'm asked to interview for a job taking over one of the divisions in an office. I I worked in Philadelphia and I was asked to go down to Baltimore, which was like the blight of the East Coast for this organization. And the blight of the East Coast in general, I think, at this point. Well, yeah, well, (laughs) I'll hold any comment. What I saw saw there was a tremendous amount of opportunity, and I think but for that opportunity, I would have never gone out on my own, started two search firms. So so I'm thankful that I went there. But here's what was interesting to me. So I start looking at the competition that I've got, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to get really hung up on competition because I fundamentally I'm competing against myself. I've got a message. I've got something to sell. I need to understand what everybody else is doing. But I start looking at these other guys. I'm like, God, some of these guys have been at this firm for like 10 years. Some of them have managed multiple teams, some of them. And then that's when it dawns on me. I've got this totally different background. So I just need to create relevance around my background because the moment I do that, if it resonates with the woman who ran the East Coast, they can't have the conversation I can have. They're all trying to explain why their similar experience is different. I can have a completely different conversation. If she doesn't value what it is that I have, if she is hell-bent on finding somebody that has X number of years experience and has managed inside search firms, then I, you know, it was never my job to have. But if I can create relevance around this, no one else can compete against me. And I got the job. Excellent. 
And, and how do people fail when they try to do this? You know, is, is it that they fail to create that relevance? There are two areas where they fail. I mean, number one is getting super fixated on what they don't have. You know, and starting out by looking at job descriptions and job descriptions are emblematic of, you know, pushing you into a system working through HR and recruiters, which ultimately, number one, has got you so focused on trying to please two sets of people who never hire you, which is like the most counterintuitive thing in the world. You're kissing the ring of two people who don't hire you. I mean, God bless anybody listening to this who's in HR, but I mean, you're in the organization, you're pretty much at the bottom of the totem pole, and you're not influencing the hiring. It really does not happen. You've got that coupled with not doing due diligence on what you do that's truly valued by former employers and former colleagues, and then messaging that and finding the people who need what it is that you have. Again, navigating your search by job description. Oh, is in that's where they fail, right? Who's your general audience? I mean, I sort of asked this in the beginning as well. Like, is it just guys getting out of the military? Is it just people who want to transition in their career? I mean, I, I know a lot of my audience is pretty young. So are right. there areas where they need to build relevance or ways they can build that relevance better than their peers? Because I know guys getting out of the military, you, you focus on that experience and how that translates. Uh, guys and, and girls in one career in the middle of their career that might be a little tricky as well, but I know it's hard for guys who have just graduated or have very limited experience because they're competing with people who have been on the job. Yeah. You know, I'll point to the guy who introduced the two of us, John Corcoran. Relationships are paramount. So whether it is developing relationships with potential mentors and getting their perspective on what is valued in the marketplace and understanding how to point out that that's where you serve because that can translate across industries. I think of a guy that I coached years ago who came to me. It's funny how we look at our own situations and we think that somehow or another we don't have enough or we're not good enough or we're not smart enough or we're, we're, we're lacking in some areas. So here's what he tells me. I look at his background. I mean, he's worked in every industry. It's basically reads like a consulting background. He goes, look, I don't have a lot of stability at these companies. And here's what's happened to me. I got out of getting my MBA and got hired by this guy who is worth eight, nine figures. And he goes and he buys companies and he constantly brings me in to help turn them around. It might be to turn them around as the CEO, or it might be to turn them around in one particular area of operations. But I've worked in this industry. I've done this. I've, and he said, so, but I don't really have like one area or one niche that I've carved out. And, and I bounced around a lot. I said, Okay, so it's a problem <laughs> that a guy has made hundreds of millions of dollars off what you've done for companies that he's invested in. I say, you were totally looking at this the wrong way. Because as far as I'm concerned, if I was a headhunter, I would have you out interviewing with everybody under the sun. You've got an amazing story. Your only problem now is this guy's retired and he's no longer buying companies. So you just need to take this story and be able to go out and tell it on your own. So let's bring that back to folks who've just come out of college. To surround yourself with people who have achieved and exceeded in areas that, that you would like to potentially go and get to know them and get to understand what do they value. And I can guarantee you what you're going to find is whether it is the you know CEO of some aviation company, some 
senior VP of marketing at, an, at a, a manufacturing company, that there are going to be themes that are recurring. It's just, it's just like those articles we see in, you know, Business Insider. What do these 10 billionaires have for breakfast on Saturday morning? You know, and somebody's like, oh my God, Richard Branson eats three bananas. I'm going to eat three bananas, you know, and I'm going to be worth $4.5 billion. That's not it. They've got a system. They're taking things off their plate that is, they're completely irrelevant. Like they don't need to succumb to decision fatigue in order to determine what they're going to have for breakfast. Look for those recurring themes and build relationships with these people because part of their legacy is helping bring other people up behind them. Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting because people don't think about that. Yeah, it's not the thing. It's the process. It's thinking about, and this is one of the things that I've found fascinating. I mean, you know, I've got my my circle of influence and colleagues and masterminds and all the things that, you know, I, I know you do. But I've shifted to spending a lot of time with guys who are at eight figures, nine figures to understand, like, they see things and they're looking at things that I don't see. So even though I may have been at this for 20 plus years, you still have to remain a student to the game. The second you stop doing that, the second you stop investing in your own personal growth, First of all, I guarantee you that those folks are going to ask because if what you're looking for is a silver bullet and a mentor, you're not going to get it. They want to know that you're willing to work because you are going to be reflective of them. It's just like anybody who you introduce to someone else and vice versa. You're doing this because you want it to be reflective of you. That mentorship, you know, it can take a number of different forms, but God, that stuff is crucial. If there's one thing I could go back and do differently when I came out of the military, because I had some amazing opportunities when I came out and I, and I squandered some of those. I would go back and do that differently. What would you do differently? Let me ask you about your mistakes. I mean, how did you end up squandering those? I didn't do anything to kind of nurture the relationship. As simple as reaching out to them and saying, hey, um, here's what's been going on, you know, just giving them a general update. It was really helpful when you did this. Hey, I've got a quick question for you. What do you think about this? How would you handle this? And this is not an opportunity to try to show somebody how smart you are. It's an opportunity. You're going to show them how smart you are by the questions you ask. Yeah. And by implementing the crap that they tell you. Exactly. Exactly. I'm sure because I see it happen all the time. Hey, Jordan, what should I do about this situation? And I give them one little hoop to jump through, nothing. And then if they do jump through the hoop and I give them advice, then the next question comes in and I go, well, did you do this? No. Well, bye. No, I didn't like that answer, basically, is what they're saying. I didn't like the answer that required all that work and all that effort, so I just kind of kind of let it die. Okay. See, that's that's the thing, too. It's interesting. The older I've gotten, the more excited I get about things that look like they're difficult to do. Because I realize what I lack in maybe innate intelligence, I can make up for in putting my head down and doing the stuff that other people aren't willing to do. Yes. So the majority of my competition has just opted out. Yes. So I don't even have to be good. I just have to show up and do it. Yes, exactly. It's so funny. I went to a really good law school and I thought, I'm screwed. Everyone here is smarter than me. My test scores were low. I basically got in because I was like more quote unquote interesting because I had all this international experience and all this cool job experience before I applied. Well, when I got there, what happened was I thought I had to study like 10 or 12 hours a day. So I did. And I joined a study group on like the first week of school and everyone's like, oh, that's unnecessary. I can't believe you guys are doing that. What a bunch of geeks, whatever. Believe it or not, we're like 24 and this is still happening. So I'm studying with all those like nerdy smart kids who I love. 
and they're teaching me all of this difficult stuff and they're finding value in teaching it to me and I'm definitely finding value in having it taught to me again by other people it kind of one-on-one-ish. After the first semester, what happened was all the smart kids who are used to just kind of mailing it in, getting A's because they're geniuses basically, were not doing so amazing because the tests are designed to weed those people out anyway. And I did pretty well, especially for me in an academic context, and then a lot of those kids got sort of shocked and then they would work 10 and 12 hours a day because they knew they had to play the game like everybody else, but here was the problem it was too late to catch up because in law school, your first year grades are really the core of what counts in terms of getting a job. So if you got a bunch of C pluses or B minuses, you couldn't bring it up no matter what. You could get straight A's, which is nearly impossible, and you would still be in some little bit of trouble. Meanwhile, if you got B pluses all around both semesters, you were fine. And that's what I did. And I thought that this is interesting because I knew I wasn't the smartest one there, but I just outworked them. And I don't recommend that as a general strategy. I think it's a losing battle in a career because you can outwork everybody for 30 years. You'll just have no life. But I think it's a very interesting way to defeat competition is by looking at, this is going to be really hard. So there's there's not going to be as much traffic on the last mile. I totally agree. And I, and I think that... I think that fundamentally at the core of all of this is when you get out and you start moving and you start taking action, movement begets more movement. There's a course I went through in the military where you know, the instructors would constantly be yelling at you day and night, good decision, bad decision, make a decision. Not making a decision is not a decision. In indecisiveness is not a decision. Lack of progress is not a decision. You, you've got to move. When you start moving, then you can change your course of action, even if it doesn't work out. I mean, one of the things I found is we have launched all of these different sites, which quite frankly was ridiculously overwhelming, was that when we, after we had been going at it for about six months and started to look at the data, we realized, you know, one of our sites, we've got 500, 600 articles on there. There are about five of them that account for 90% of our traffic. So when we started looking at converting and growing, and this is what pushed us you know, I'm looking back at my notes from when we first talked, we were at 260,000 subscribers. We're at almost 300,000 now. And when we just focused in on like those top five articles that we were meeting people where they were and just engaging in this, whether you work for yourself, you work for somebody else, this is important stuff to focus in on. You know, what is it that's the catalyst for the conversation? If, if you start to realize that, you know, people are constantly asking you the same thing and you're like, God, I don't want to talk about that. Embrace it. Like, how do you take that and then navigate off it to get where you want to go from a messaging standpoint? And that's exactly, I mean, it's exactly what we did. I think it's what anybody can do. All right, back to the show. What happens if I'm in one industry, I want to go into another one, and they're like, well, yeah, but you haven't been doing this for long, you did something else. Is there a way to short circuit that or get around that? Yeah, so there is. There are kind of three steps. I mean, first of all, we need to understand the audience that we've served well, whether it's through internships, whatever, or you, you know, you've got 10, 15, 20 years of experience. So what I highly recommend is going and talking to people who've employed you before, who you've done work for before, and ask them some really simple questions like, what did I do to make your life easier? And when you think of me, what's the first thing that comes to mind? If someone asked you why they should hire me, what would you say? It's tempting, at least it is for me, (laughs) 
to jump in and engage in that, but just listen and just absorb it. If you can record these calls, if you're doing it via telephone, it's perfect because you're listening for recurring themes. You're listening for the problems that you solve and what people find valuable in you. The next thing you want to do is you want to, you want to package that up and you want to be able to really succinctly, and this isn't an elevator pitch. This is more of a, a value proposition. Okay. This is a, a really short message you can put in front of people. You can tell really quickly, is this something they value? Do they know someone who values this? Or are they going to look at you like, I have no idea where that would ever apply to me in life. And you can figure out what you're going to do with this potential relationship or existing relationship that's sitting in front of you. And I call it the XYZ technique. So it's, I help X do or understand Y so that Z. X is your audience. Y is the problem or problems that they're facing, and Z is the outcome that they seek. And, and when you think of Z, you need to think of it in terms of kind of the emotional outcome that they want to seek. So if we go back to those questions, really when you get down to the core of it, when you're talking to a former employer, how you make their life easier is how they're going home at night, they're not waking up in a cold sweat, worried about their job, about a promotion, how are you helping them get the next job, in terms of the organization, how are you helping them get a promotion? How are you helping them look better than their peers? So when you take this whole message and you package it up in this XYZ technique or, or another, another way to go about it is asking a question, have you ever dealt with X problem? Well, that's the problem that I solved. When you have a certain level of experience, you can go into saying, things like that. When you're first starting out, you, you probably don't have that, that level of expertise yet to do that. So now what we want to do when we're looking at shifting industries is the real question becomes, why should I believe you have no track record of direct experience? So why should I believe that Jordan can come in and do this? Well, I've got to believe that you want to do it. I've got to believe that you have the aptitude to do it. And on some level, I have to like you. So don't discount that last piece because that will swing the pendulum enormously. Right. When there, there are a number of studies that go out, Jerry Crispin does this every year, this thing called sources of hire. And I think it's 53% of hires are made, fall into one of two categories, either internal referrals or external referrals. So either somebody being promoted internally inside a company or somebody being you know referred in by a coworker. And the common thread there is you're a known quantity. You're a known quantity. So when you're able to take this message, give it some context and have an internal advocate in a company that gives some context to your credibility, your viability, and then you can build from there. Then it's a matter of understanding what is it they need to achieve from an outcome standpoint? How can I do that? What is it that I've done in my past, which may not be directly related to it, but like I shared with coming out of the military, I've got a unique perspective on this. This is the exact same technique that I used. And I knew, particularly when we go back to the example I gave of interviewing for that job inside my search firm, I knew that the worst thing that could ever happen to me when I was in the infantry was the worst thing that could happen is one of my guys gets killed. And the second worst thing is that something happens to me. On no day was that going to happen inside the search firm. So I frame that up not to be that cavalier about the outcomes they're looking to achieve, but 
the reality is for me, I wanted to paint a picture that there is no situation you're going to put in front of me that's going to get me so flustered that I'm not going to be able to make it happen for you. I'll find the resources. I'll find a way. I'll get it done. And again, there's nobody else that, that could have that conversation. So it just becomes a question of whether the person sitting across from you values that or not. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, people are always looking to do business with people they like and trust. Like what we teach is getting people to like and trust you and largely so that they'll do business with you or date you or marry you or whatever it is that whatever goal people have in mind and people undervalue that. And you hear this all the time, I'm sure, where somebody goes, I don't get it. I have more experience. I'm more qualified. I'm smarter. I've got this and that and the other thing. And then you hang out with them for like 10 minutes and you're like, God, this guy is so irritating. <laughs> I know why you can't get hired. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I'll get asked a lot of questions and some people will go, I don't understand why I keep getting terminated from jobs. The market is terrible, but you know, all these other people who suck up, they're the ones who are still there while I get the boot. And I'll be like, oh, well, that's terrible. And then later on, their emails start to get more and more entitled and more and more like, hey, you didn't reply to me, and it's been like four hours. And I'm like, I get 600 emails a day. What are you talking about? And there's just more. And then I'm like, oh, you probably do this with everyone. This is why you're getting canned. People hate you. You won't take the criticism or you say, well, you know, you should try this. Well, no, that's ridiculous. And it's like, oh, and you're smarter than everyone. No wonder you're unemployed. And you see that a lot. And unfortunately, it's really hard to see it in yourself. If I'm trying to discover new opportunities in an industry, how do I discover those? I mean, do, we all know that people asking for jobs can be problematic, especially if you're like, I just want 10 seconds of your time. And you're like, no, I, do, I know where right. this is going. You want to be the next coach at the Art of Charm. I'm not interested. I don't know you. How do you start to uncover those opportunities without saying, I'm looking for a job? You know, I one of the best ways, and this comes back to d developing mentors, developing relationships. I mean, a mentorship can take a you know number of different shapes and sizes. But it's getting to understand what is important, what's critical that's going on in that other person's life right now. Because where you can start to help them solve problems and where people are going to bring their problems to you, you're able then to take a, a closer look and figure out, is this the kind of problem I want to solve? If you called me up and said, hey, Kevin, here's something that's going on. What are your thoughts? I have three choices. I can either say I've got absolutely no idea, which is an idiotic response. I can either help be a resource myself or I can help connect you with someone else who can be a resource for you. More often than not, I mean, for me at least, unless I've got specific subject matter expertise in an area, I'm going to do the latter. Once you do that, people are going to be more apt to connect with you. I mean, this is all basic networking stuff, but when it comes to shifting industries, and this is why it's so important that you do this stuff, particularly when you're completely happy where you are, you look at it no differently than any other type of professional development, you know, whatever you want to call it, self-improvement, whatever, that you're constantly remaining a student to the game and elevating your, your skill set. And you've got some word for word scripts to un, you know, to uncover opportunities in new industries and stuff like that without asking for the interview in the, the career toolbox. A absolutely. Yeah. There are two in particular that I used as a headhunter. I was not a recruiter who got your resume, sent it over to a company and waited for them to call. I didn't use resumes to get candidates interviews. 
I would develop a pitch like what we've talked about. I would market people in. And the conversations I had with people every single day, that's what drove the calls I made the next day. And there were two questions in there. And, and I've got all of this, got the scripts written out and explain in these videos exactly why it is that you need to say what it is that I outlined that you say. And it was, who do you know? Where have you been? So who else do you know that either I need to talk to that in my case, a lot of times I would say is currently looking, but that's not really what you want to do. You, and as you mentioned earlier, like, the 10 seconds of your time or asking somebody, you know, say, Hey, I'm currently looking, you'll see their defense go up. That's mm -hmm. not what you want to do. You want to develop a relationship with someone so that they are happy to, and are offering to connect you with and introduce you to other people. And there, there's actually an interview in there with a guy by the name of Michael Kerman. And I did this years ago. I think I did this in like 2008, 2009. And Michael's story is interesting. So <clears throat> he's probably in his early 40s, had been in San Francisco, working in software sales, moved to Philadelphia. And as soon as he get to Philadelphia, fired. He knows no one. He has no leads. He did, I don't even think he actually started the job when he got to Philadelphia. So he had to start networking from scratch. And in the interview, he talks through how he did that and how he got hired without ever asking for a job. And it's a really simple interview, but it reinforces some of those traits that simple bad habits that we can all fall into when we're out there looking. And, and whether it's you're looking for a job or whatever you're looking for, the systematic approach that, that Michael used is, I mean, it's fail safe. Excellent. Well, this is great. And I know we'll point to the career toolbox uh, in the show notes as well. And I have an app people can use to record the calls, like you said, that they should have with people. Uh, it's it's Tape a Call Pro for the iPhone. I don't have an Android one, but people can use that. And we'll link that up in the show notes as well if you want to record the phone calls that you're doing so that you know you're getting this stuff right. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to get out before we wrap it up? Thank you so much for your time, by the way. This is amazing. No, no, no. My my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. No, I, I don't think so. I think we hit it all. Great. So the career toolbox, the job search stuff will be on the show notes as well. Careerattraction.com slash toolbox is the URL. If you don't feel like going to our website, shame on you. Thanks so much, Kevin. This has been great. Hey, thanks, Jordan. I appreciate it. Excellent. I love the scripts. I'm always about the practical here. And I love the idea that you can set yourself apart even if you've got no experience or you're just straight out of school. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show's a fanarchy. It's run by you and I rely on you to help keep my finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit, like Kevin, let me know. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Kevin on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well, as well as the other resources I mentioned on the show, like his uh, job search toolbox and the app that records your cell phone calls. I also put tons of stuff on Twitter that never really makes it to the show, articles, insights, and other stuff, and that's at The Art of Charm on Twitter. Bootcamp details for our live programs at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp, and also on the website, there's bonus episodes that aren't released in the iTunes feed for those who just can't get enough AOC. And remember to subscribe to us in iTunes. Check us out on our new network, Podcast One. We also have Android apps and iPhone apps so you can listen to us on the go and on your phone if you don't like using the native stuff. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Now go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at the Art of Charm Podcast. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. 